Why do bad things happen to good people? And it's really the question of why is there suffering in the world? And to be honest, I feel inadequate to address that. I'm going to be 66 years old next month, and I have been so blessed. I've had very little suffering in my life. And so I've had to go to people in our faith community who have suffered because they would probably be better equipped to give this message than me. And so you'll hear me talk this morning about the Vega family. Some of you know their journey. At the age of seven, Sergio Enzo, seven years old, was diagnosed with cancer. And for two years, Sergio and Kathy would bring Sergio Enzo for chemotherapy and radiation therapy. And I can't imagine the suffering that those parents went through to bring their little seven-year-old son. And I can't imagine the courage and the suffering that Sergio Enzo had and the courage to endure it. But it doesn't affect them. It also affected his sisters, Eleni and Ari. The whole Vega family have suffered in ways that I can't even contemplate. And many of you know my friend Miguel Meza and know something about his story. He had an abusive father. And not just your normal abuse, at a young age, his father would do such horrible things as tie him to a chair and put clip clothespins on his nose so he couldn't breathe, essentially torturing little Miguel Meza. And then my friend Stanzi Rader, the age of 13, diagnosed with leukemia. And for 130 weeks had to endure chemotherapy to kill off this leukemia. Folks, that is suffering at a level that is so profound that I can't even imagine it. I can't even contemplate it. And what it brings up is this issue that philosophers have been discussing and debating for over 2,000 years. Plato and Aristotle talked about the problem of suffering. And people who would attack our God have come up with what they call the problem of suffering. And it's a philosophical problem, and it goes something like this. I think we have that here. Because suffering exists, either God is good but not all-powerful, or God is all-powerful, but not good. And folks, that's a legitimate question. Given the depth of the suffering that we see in just three folks here in this room, this question deserves an answer. And I'm going to try to do that this morning. But let's begin with a word of prayer. Father, for 2,000 years, Christians, when they gather, have invoked your presence, an invocation prayer, asking you to be present as you're about to teach your word. And Father, I, I join in that tradition because I know at this moment, Father, that my friends here at Rock Hills don't need to hear from me. They need to hear from you. So Father, please, would you speak and get me out of the way so that your word and your truth can go forth and accomplish what you desire in the hearts and the lives of my friends here at Rock Hills. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. 
Amen. As Adam just said, we're in a series called Hot Seat. And what we're doing is going through questions that all of you submitted. Now, there have been numerous questions. This is our fourth week in the series. And if you missed any of those messages, they're on our website. And there are dozens of questions that we answered. I answered, answered questions about eternity and salvation, and Stephen answered questions about uh, science and evolution, and Adam last week answered questions on the culture and human sexuality and things of that nature. And so please go back and look at those, listen to those, if you want to catch up on some of those issues. And when we asked about questions that people had, really the number one area was questions about suffering. And so we got questions like, why does a woman who gets raped, why does God allow her to have children? Why does God allow her to get pregnant from that rape? Why does God allow a small child to be sexually abused? Why does God allow a drunk driver to kill an innocent family? And if you group all these questions together, they really come under the question of why is there suffering in the world? And the philosophers who pose that question, and let's put that question up again, what they're really doing is they're making a direct attack on the God that we believe in and serve. Because we say, the Bible says, that God is good. Over and over, like in Psalm 103, it says things like, God is compassionate and gracious, abounding in love. God is good. When directly asked a question, this person came up to Jesus and said, good teacher, I want to ask you this question. And, and Jesus said, why do you call me good? God alone is good. Remember that. God alone is good. And so this philosophical argument is a direct attack because the Bible also says that God is all-powerful. He spoke the universe into existence. Over and over in the scripture, it says things like, all things, God works out all things according to his purpose and will. So the Bible asserts that he is good, and the Bible asserts that he is all-powerful. And so what is our response to this? And what I want to say is that I believe the problem with this philosophical argument is it has a false premise in it. You see, what it's really saying is, given that we all know suffering is evil and wrong and has no value or benefit, therefore, either God is good and not all-powerful or God is all-powerful and not good. So if you can show that there is value and benefit to suffering, then this argument goes away. So that's the first thing I want to try to do this morning. Is I want to take the position, I want to suggest to you from the scripture that there is value and benefit to suffering. We see that in a very famous verse, Romans 8.28, I believe we have that here. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him who are called according to his purpose. Notice it says all things. It doesn't say God works for good just in the good things. It says all things. You know, as I, as I talked to Sergio 
about what it was like for he and Kathy to have to take Sergio Enzo in for his chemo treatments and his radiation treatments. I mean, he was choking up. I mean, this is seven years ago now. And he still remembers what that was like, the pain that he went through as he took his son. He said, out. you don't understand. They're injecting poison into your son, stuff that will kill him. And they bring him very close to death in order to kill off the cancer. In fact, some of the young folks die because their immune system is so depressed that they get various flus and colds and even pneumonias, and those can kill them because their immune system is depressed. And he said, so we would take our son in and watch them inject this poison into him, and he'd be sick, and he'd lose his hair, and all these horrible things. And what I want you to think about is this. What if intelligent life from another planet had sort of beamed down here and seen what was going on, and all they knew was that Sergio and Kathy were bringing their beautiful little seven-year-old son in and hooking him up to machines, letting people hook up machines that inject poison into him, and he went through this incredible suffering. What would they think? They would think that Sergio and Kathy were the biggest monsters in the history of the world, the history of the universe. Because they wouldn't have the greater perspective that they were using this for the good of Sergio Enzo. And so it's such a wonderful thing to say that here at the age of 14, Sergio Enzo is cancer-free. But he would not be alive today but for the suffering that they inflicted on their child. Don't you see how a father, a good father, can allow suffering for a greater good? And that's really what Romans 8.28 is saying. And and as I talked with Stanzi Rader about this, and by the way, Stanzi has thought about suffering as deeply and as well as anybody I know. If you, ever, if you are suffering today, if you've ever been through suffering, if you want to try to grasp it a little bit more, I really recommend you sit down with Sergio or Miguel or Stanzi. They've thought deeply and well about this. And, and Stanzi said, you know, Al, Here's the way I look at it. Even at the age of 13 when I was diagnosed, I was a Christian, but I was already sort of being seduced away from my Father in heaven. You know, I started, I'd become, started to become vain. I'd started to become self-absorbed. I started to be seduced by the, the, you know, the pleasures of this world. And what really happened was through this experience of suffering, my Father ripped me back to His side. And here's the analogy she, she used that really stuck with me. She said, imagine if you had a, a young child that was abducted, was kidnapped by evil people. And they had him somewhere, and maybe they were even comfortable. Maybe they gave him a television to watch and, and you know, food to eat. But wouldn't you do everything you could to get your child back, to rescue them? Of course you would. Because you know if they're around those evil people, bad things are going to eventually happen to them. And so a father, a good father, would go in and break into the house and try to rescue that child back. And maybe in the course of that rescue, the child gets bumps and bruises or maybe cuts or even gunshot wounds. But you save the child. Don't you see that that suffering the child goes through during the course of that rescue was well worth it? 
and justified by the good Father. And I love that analogy because that's what Stanzi saw in her own life. She was being abducted. She was being seduced by the evil forces of this world. And God ripped her back at the cost of some suffering. But to this day, she's grateful for it. You know, there's a, another person who has experienced suffering to a degree that I never will, and that's the Apostle Paul. If you know anything about his story, it's, it's in the book of Acts and Corinthians and various places in this book. And he was given the 40 lashes less one five times. You see, when he was spreading the gospel, he ruffled a lot of feathers. And one of the punishments they would use is the lashing of the body, the, the whipping. And if you saw the passion of the Christ, you have some idea what that was like. They would literally rip the skin off your back. And Paul was so committed to preaching the gospel that he endured that five times. And the reason they say it's the 40 lashes less one is because they believed that 40 lashes would actually kill a man. So they gave him 39 so that he wouldn't die. And toward the end of his life, Paul wrote these words, and they're in, in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, 16 through 18. And he said, Though outwardly I'm wasting away, inwardly I'm being renewed day by day. And these light and momentary sufferings, or troubles, this version has, a lot of versions have sufferings, are producing an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. You probably notice I memorized that. And one of the reasons is, I can really relate to this verse. Just from the little suffering that goes on as you age. See, Paul says, outwardly I'm wasting away. If you saw pictures of me when I was 30 years old, you'd say, wow, man, is he wasting away? <laughs> and all I can say is, yes, it's true. And it is a process, this aging process, this suffering. I don't like seeing all my hair fall out. I don't like seeing my skin get wrinkled. I don't like seeing that young athletic guy that I used to be become this old man. And so it's physical suffering. I get up and my back hurts and my knee hurts and I groan a lot. But there's also psychological suffering. It's hard to grow old and to see your youth pass away. And so I can relate to this. And, and what Paul is really saying is, but there's something going on here besides the suffering. It's producing an eternal glory, an eternal benefit. Now, I'm going to go all math class on you, so don't let me lose you here. All right? Any of you remember what the symbol was for infinity in math class? Yeah, it's kind of a sidewards eight. I think we probably have a thing here. So infinity, which is just this, this number that you can never reach the end of, or, or an amount that you can never reach an end, the end of. So eternity is an infinite amount of time. You never reach the end of the amount of time. If you take any number, no matter how small, like 0 .000001, and multiply it by infinity, you know what you get? You get infinity. And what Paul is saying here is the smallest possible benefit that you get through suffering in this world, when that is multiplied, that benefit is multiplied over an infinite period of time, like eternity, gives you an infinite benefit. And what he's saying is the smallest suffering that we experience on earth is going to give us an infinite benefit for eternity. 
You know, if I was brave, I'd be praying for more suffering because I want to live for eternity. I really do. I care more about what's going to go on forever than I care about what's going on for these few brief years on this planet. And he said basically the same thing in Romans 8.18. And this is the way he put it in Romans 8.18. He said, I consider these present sufferings to be not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us, to not worth comparing to heaven. Now there's another person who has seen and experienced suffering beyond anything I think any of us can ever imagine. That person is Mother Teresa. You, you all know her story. At a young age, she went to India, and her calling on her life was to minister to suffering people. You know, she used to go there in, in the very horrible slums of Delhi and just minister to dying people. As they were dying, she, she'd comfort them with cool water on their face and just hold their hands. She'd do that 16 hours a day. Imagine the difficulty of doing that, how fatigued you'd get, how difficult that would be 16 hours a day. She saw suffering beyond anything we can imagine. She saw, she experienced suffering beyond anything we can imagine. At one point, somebody came to her and said, Mother Teresa, why don't you sort of get into an office with your name and your connections? You could mobilize huge medical teams to come to India. And maybe they could bring, you know, even for the, the people who are terminal, they could bring, you know, pain-relieving medications with them. And, and if you put all your efforts into building this organization, imagine the good she could, you could do. And her response to them is, you feel called to do that, I hope and pray you will do that. My calling is to comfort the person right in front of me who's dying. And that's what she did all her life. And she saw a level of suffering that none of us will ever see. And you know what she said? I think we can all agree. She was a compassionate woman, right? I want you to read this quote by Mother Teresa. In light of heaven, the worst suffering on earth, a life full of what the most atrocious tortures on earth will be seen to be no more serious than one night in an inconvenient hotel. <coughs> Folks, I would not dare say that to you because I know there's suffering in this room. I would never dare say something like that, that what you are going through is so trivial it's like one night in an inconvenient hotel. But that's what Mother Teresa said. And that's really what the Apostle Paul said. And so ultimately, that is the answer to the problem of suffering in the world. Yes, God is good. And yes, he's all-powerful. But he allows it because it's producing an eternal benefit. And he allows it because it's trivial in light of heaven and the glory we will all experience. And so that's really the intellectual answer, the, the biblical answer. You know, I, I was a guy when I was an atheist who posed that question of suffering. That was one I used to like to use on people who believed in God. And so I hope that you've internalized that answer. 
I, I hope that if someone questions the goodness of our Father, you will be able to answer them in some way along those lines. But you know what? There's something I really hope a lot more than that. Yes, I would love for you to have these good answers to questions. But you know what? I hope you never use them for someone who's suffering. I've seen this happen before. I've been in, ho- I've been in hospital rooms where Christians come in and somebody's in the middle of suffering. And they'll go, oh, well, Romans 8.28, all things are going to work together for good. I'm like, really? <laughs> You're going to use that right now? This person is suffering. Because what we're called to do, beyond any answer we can give, My prayer for our faith community is we be people who comfort the suffering. That's what the Bible is calling us to do. Jesus said, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And he's looking for his people to comfort those who are in need. And in fact, Paul wrote to the Corinthians, this guy who had suffered so much, he said, we serve the God of all comfort. And he comforts us so that we can comfort others. Isn't that an amazing God? He comforts us so that we can comfort others. Jesus expects us to be the hands and feet. In fact, when he was talking about what it was to be an authentic Christian, this is what he told his followers. He said, when I was thirsty, you gave me water. When I was in prison, you visited me. And his followers said, Lord, we don't remember doing that. When did we do that? And he said, what you do for the least of the people on this earth, you do also for me. Folks, that is the sign of authentic Christianity. And one of the things I remember vividly when I was at the Naval Academy, I was deathly ill. I mean, I was really sick. And, you know, we were a bunch of, you know, really tough guys here at the military academy, right? And everybody's going to, you know, suck it up, get over it. And one guy, after about my third day in bed, he came up from the mess hall with some soup. Took the time to go all the way to the mess hall and bring me some soup. And I hardly knew the guy. But I knew he was a Christian. And I still, to this day, even even though I was an atheist at that time, I still remember that moment. People remember being comforted. And you know, the three folks that I've mentioned in this message, the Vega family, Miguel Meza, Stanzi Rader, what's interesting, what, what connects them besides the profound suffering they've been through? They've all started ministries to comfort the suffering. Sergio and Kathy and, and the Vega family started building smiles. And they do events for kids who are going through cancer treatment because they know what that was like and their heart is to to comfort them. Miguel, who went through such suffering at the hands of his dad, is one of the most servant-hearted guys I've ever met. And his ministry that he started, Among the Broken, ministers to the homeless, to the people who are sick with you know, terminal diseases to people in nursing homes. And Stanzi, her ministry that she started, Hearts Need Art, 
She uses her artistic gifts to go minister to them. And by the way, when I'm finished with this message, you're going to have the blessing of hearing Stanzi sing a song that she wrote called Release, which is about her suffering journey. So I hope that if anyone is suffering in this room, and I'm sure there are people, you will listen to the words of that and get comfort from that. But I think it is so important to point out that three of the people who have endured the greatest amount of suffering have all started ministries to comfort the suffering. But you know what the real final answer to the issue of suffering is? It's the gospel. It's the good news. Because the gospel says, it starts with bad news. It says that we rebelled against God. We rebelled against Him. And because of that, suffering came into the world. That's how suffering came into the world. We began to die and suffer. And God could have left us in our suffering. But He didn't. God came down in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. He walked this earth. He was called a man of sorrows, a man acquainted with suffering. And in fact, at the age of 33, Jesus died on the cross. One of the most torturous deaths ever devised by man, death by crucifixion. The physical suffering he endured is beyond anything we can imagine, but he endured more than that. He endured the suffering of having your sin and my sin placed on him. He had the suffering of God's wrath being poured out on him instead of on us. He went to the grave, defeated death, rose from the dead to reconcile us to God. What an amazing, amazing God. He suffered so that we would not have to suffer at that level. That we would not have to be separated forever from God. Why would you not put your faith in that God? How does that not prove that God, in fact, is good and all-powerful? If you've never done that, I want to encourage you to do that today. You know, I love Miguel and Sergio and Stanzi. And at one level... It really breaks my heart what y'all have been through. If I had been around, I would have done almost anything to keep you from that suffering. But at another level, I'm glad you went through it. Because your willingness to endure it endure it courageously and to cling to Jesus has made you the people that you are. And I'm a better man for having known you. Because you endured that, because you used it to grow in your life, my life has been enriched in more ways than I can ever describe. And so I want to thank you. Now, I'll give you my final answer to the question why do bad things happen to good people? 
know what the best answer is to why do bad things happen to good people? In all of human history, that's only ever happened once. And he volunteered for it. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the Vega family and Miguel and Stanzi and all they mean to this faith community and their commitment to serving others and comforting others who are suffering. Thank you for what they have done and meant in my life and the life of so many others. And Father, thank you for suffering for us that we might be re reunited to you. And my prayer for the people at Rock Hill is that you would comfort them in their suffering. And I pray that you would use this beautiful song maybe as a, a part of that comfort. And I pray these in Jesus' name. Amen.